You are listening to South by Southwest Sessions. What's up, y'all? Hey, how's everyone doing? Hope like the energy in the room. Um, you guys are so awesome for being with us today. This is an interview I've been looking forward to forever, ever since um, I met up with the FaZe Clan crew in Portugal a few months ago. Um, so, Lee, <coughs> thank you for taking some time for doing this. Thanks for having me. So, watching that sizzle reel, you get the sense that FaZe Clan is a little bit of everything, right? <laughs> it's an entertainment company. It's an esports company. It's an events company. It's a branding company. It's a celebrities company. It's everything. But how would you explain what FaZe Clan is to the average everyday person who might not be as closely following all the stuff that you do? So, you know, we're, we're a lifestyle and media platform. Um, we're rooted in gaming. We come from gaming originally, but really we're a youth culture brand overall. Um, and I think part of that is at one point, um, gaming lifestyle and gaming culture became youth culture, became synonymous with youth culture once gaming kind of really exploded. Um, and so, you know, I like to think that we played an important part of that. I don't think we were the only ones. I think that that was, there was a big movement. There was a lot of kind of a huge community behind it. Um, but really, I think we, we consider ourselves a youth culture brand. And when you see some of your favorite athletes or celebrities rocking the Face Clan logo, yeah. what does that mean? Um, I mean, look for, you know, you see it, we're, we're humbled to see that at times. It's, it's amazing that people kind of rep us that way. And I think that what it, it, what, what it represents is kind of the, the you know, an, an aspirational, highly aspirational brand. I think that it's, a, you know, a, not only aspirational, but also has like a vibe of like a cool air and, and, uh, and something that's like driving the culture. So I think when, you know, I think part of it is even when, when and, I, and I know other people in my company are the same, are the same thing, like when, when we're out and about wearing something phase related, the, the way people come up to us and talk to, talk to us about it, it's like, there's like an element of like, you know, um, it's a little bit of an old movie, but like Fight Club, where it's mm -hmm. like, you kind of know, like where people kind of pull up to you and they're like, FaZe Clan? And, and it's like, you're in the know of this, you know, uh, look, I, I think what's amazing is there's still a lot of people that still don't know it, which I really is, is kind of exciting. Um, but, we, you know, huge community and, uh, and just a lot of people that kind of rep it and, and love to see it being repped. Okay, but the difference between Face Clan and Fight Club <laughs> is that the number one rule here is not that we don't talk about that's, it. That's we are true. here. We're on stage. That's right. So, but you bring up a good point, right, which is that not everybody knows what Face Clan is. Yeah. Even though it's a massive brand, right? You're planning an IPO. It's reportedly at a billion dollars. I mean, this is a big company. So why don't more people know about it? Um, well, well look, I think it. I think it started from if you, if you rewind a few years ago. Really, nobody knew about it except our community and the gaming community, right? Which is this. It's a massive, vibrant community. But I think it was until even 18 months ago, two years ago, kind of detached from the traditional world. So we've been spending the last couple of years really introducing ourselves to the more traditional world, the less tapped in world. I mean, look, we're, we're a legacy brand in the space. We're nearly a 12-year-old brand. And so within the gaming community, we're very widely known. Um, 
And now I would say within kind of business community and entertainment, we're really become a household name in those businesses. But there are still people that don't know about us, which to me is, I kind of am, uh, I'm I get excited about that because what it shows is there's so much more room to grow, to like keep on with our message and being kind of missionaries for, um, uh, honestly, kind of driving what Gen Z and what youth culture is doing and, and exploring what that is, um, using new technology, using new platforms. So I think we're like in this, in this constant state of reinvention for ourselves and, we're, um, and we're, we're continuing to communicate that to a wider and wider audience in, in, in all different types of ways. How much of that is a burden on you and FaZe Clan versus a burden on the entire esports and sort of youth culture industry to be communicating much more to legacy media platforms, older generations, et cetera? So, I mean, to be honest, I've, I've never felt like we, we should wait or even could wait for anybody else to help us. I think that the way we've moved um, and again, now I think we really consider ourselves youth culture broadly, but let's even rewind a couple of years ago where we're, where we're much more kind of narrowly focused on gaming. And I think my view is it's up to us to break every ceiling. It's up to us to kind of break every message. Um, really because we just, we've swung a bigger bat than most of, uh, you know, other, other gaming organizations, right? We, you know, a lot of other gaming organizations are very heavily esports. Like mo most of most gaming organizations are are heavy esports. We're heavy esports, and then plus 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 other things, right? Other thing, you know, it's we derive sort of our massive fan base and our cultural significance from the content creator side. So really, the entertainment side um, is. I think that let me let me almost back up to 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 dispel something that not everybody understands, right? So again, competitive esports super important to the scene, ever growing. Um, we take it, you know, really seriously. We're you know we we are currently you know champions of two of the most important esports out there, Call of Duty and Counter Strike. Um, you know, we have twelve esports teams. But the, the thing that I think is surprising for some people is while esports is vibrant and growing, it's gaming as an entertainment platform that is more popular, right? Sometimes what I'll say to people is in this world, in gaming, the Harlem Globetrotters are more popular than the Lakers, mm. right? And, it's, and the people that are, you know, the, the gamers that are most popular are the ones that are phenomenal entertainers. They're great at gameplay, and gameplay becomes the backdrop, but really the reason why they're immensely popular and by virtue of the number of those, those you know, that type of gaming talent that we have, why we're so popular is because of our YouTubers and our streamers. Um, and, that, and that's really the, the, where the majority of the action is within gaming. And doesn't, you know, I, I want to I still say, that, you know, esports super critical and growing, but it's the gaming as entertainment, which is really the big mover. I want to make an analogy for you. Okay. Tell me if this is off, but I think it could help folks in the audience understand your brand a little better. People that are obsessed with yoga and the yoga movement and yogi tea and balance, they're typically people who are proud to rock Lululemon. Okay. Would you say the same thing would be for FaZe Clan 
and esports and youth culture. If you are into you know, Gen Z youth culture and media and esports and gaming, FaZe Clan is like the brand you want to associate yourself with? I would say so. I, I would say we're not the only ones. I mean, there are, other, there are other great brands in the space, but I don't think there's, there's anybody that kind of touches our, our the, the, the scale of our reach. But also part of it is the reason why FaZe holds this special place, and again, I mentioned it was, it was a legacy brand, it's that the, the, the fan base, the community, watched, essentially, it was, you know, four guys that met on Xbox, right? They didn't meet, you know, they met on Xbox initially, got to know each other via Xbox, and, you know, and decided to forego school, forego work, and, and when no one had done so previous to them, decided they're going to try to make this a career. And, you know, and so for the last kind of nearly 12 years, you have people watching them go from something that was beloved, right? Gaming is beloved by the gaming community, um, but they took that passion for gaming and they said, we're actually gonna turn this into something different. We're gonna turn this into something sig significant, for, and significant for us. And they were rewarded by, with fame and with money, and they drove this, this, this movement, and they drove this community. And so that's a moment in time. Um, and you know, one of, one of the, the, the ways I, I make a comparison to you talk about analogies and I and I remember when I when I first made this analogy I was so sheepish about it because it sounded so blasphemous and then when I heard a couple of other people that were were, were part of the community other other part of the community say it I felt a little better but I compared it to hip-hop where hip-hop was you know, started as a music genre. If you rewind to, you know, back to when hip hop was kind of birthed, nobody thought it was gonna stick around. People thought it was a fad. Nobody had that much, nobody had the, the proper respect for both the, the performers and the writers and the, and the people breaking that scene. And, and you know, and, and eventually hip hop became culture itself, right? And so um, there's a parallel there, right? And, and again, I was sheepish about it until I heard people like, you know, Jimmy Iovine, who founded Interscope, and, and hip hop was, you know, he's a big figure in hip hop, and Sylvia Roan, who's, a, you know, a legendary music exec, also, you know, super, super fundamental in, in, the, in the growth of hip hop, also kind of said it, and I felt, oh, I felt much better about it, but it's that parallel. And so you have this massive amount of fans that watch these kids go from, you know, nothing to the heights of achievement in front of their eyes. And so I think that's why FaZe Clan holds this really unique place within gaming culture and hard, you know, impossible to replicate. Doesn't mean that there are not some great brands um, around us, but we're just uniquely positioned because of that history. It's funny you say that. I was moderating an esports panel this morning, and one of the things that the panelists said was that if you try to enter esports right now, you're late. Like the market is too crowded um, to do that. Do you think that's the case? Look, you're never too late if you do things right. And that's like, every, you know, there's tons of businesses that are really crowded and tons of industries that are, re that are really crowded. And like sometimes the people who think 
there can be no challengers. They're the ones that are open, open to being challenged. And so I would not say it's too late, but you, you, it's a long road to hoe. And don't think it's going to be something quick. And, you know, you, again, you can enter esports more quickly. But, if, but what's critical, I think, from a business standpoint and from a brand standpoint is you've got to build a community that supports you um, in, in sort of a, th a really three-dimensional ways that is not, you know, if it's just about the competition, then you may have achieved something, but you really haven't achieved the depth of what's available to you in this community. It's, it's you know, it's why gaming is, I think it's why gaming is so rich and robust is that it is, it's not just what happens on the field, right? It's really much more about all of the things that surround it, surround gamers, surround gaming lifestyle. Like we talk about, you know, we say things like gaming adjacent, which I don't know, you know, it just means like what things that gamers are into, which is kind of everything, right? Which is, which is why I think we've really um, evolved into a, a youth culture brand with gaming at its core. That evolution is key from a business perspective, because if you look at esports as an industry, I think the latest estimates are that it's like a billion dollars. It's not massive. Yeah. But entertainment, streaming rights and advertising and sponsorships, that's massive and that's your that's business. Right. So can you walk me through what your business actually looks like? How does FaZe Clan as a company like make money? Um, so a number of different ways, you know, at, at the moment, predominantly sponsorship is really big. We've got, we've got blue chip sponsors like, you know, McDonald's and Nissan, and we've had Beats before. Um, so so that, that's, a, that's a big part and, a, and an ever-growing part of our business. Um, you know, consumer products uh, are, are a big part and meaningful part of the business. Historically for us, that's been apparel. Um, but we're starting to branch out. Uh, like for example, we're entering gaming peripherals. Um, that's something that we're, we're really excited about and we think we're gonna go deeper and deeper into having a wider array of consumer products. We have kind of a super dope collab with this, uh, with this company, Zuru, where we have these blasters. Shout out to Tav for, for, bringing, that, for bringing that in. And, and it's like, it's the first time FaZe has been in retail. Like we're in Target and it's like, and, and the way we've seen the product fly has been eye-opening to us. Wait, what is the product? It's it's like a it's like a, a blaster. It's like a dart gun, you know, like uh, like or or little balls. It shoots balls and stuff. So it's uh, it's uh, it's cool. It's very it feels very phase clan. Like we're able to do shoot some some cool content around it, and we'll probably have some more offerings with uh, with Zuru also. Okay, so you're getting into sponsorships. You are getting into more commerce retail. Yep. What about licensing? Like, do you license your brand for other people? So that this this is really that Zuru deal is really kind of a licensing deal since they handle the the, the rest of it. I think that's that we've been um, we've been holding that license kind of and the and the IP close to our vest at the moment because we've just wanted to be in control, uh, you know. In, in, in greater control um, as we're building and defining the brand, right? And it, it's, it's like there's, there's like two constituents that we continue to define the brand for. There's our community, right, which, um, you know, I, they're the most tapped into who we are, but it's important to evolve also, right? When you're, you know, again, we're, we're you know, nearly 12 years, you know, you've, you have to be in a, in a constant state 
of evolution while still serving what's important to your, to your core. Um, and then the other community we're serving that as we both articulate the brand and continue to, to evolve and build the brand is kind of the, biz, the business community and the, and the partner community, right? So, you know, and, and there, you know, there, th there are things that we've done along the way to help define who we are to people outside the community, right? Take something like Sports Illustrated. Right. Sports Illustrated um, was less for our community, although I think we were surprised at how excited they were about it. And even the gaming community, it felt, it felt like we had accomplished something for gaming. What was it, like a profile? It was a cover story. Okay. I mean, we, you know, it was the, we were on the, you know, for the first esports team to be on, a, on, the, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the magazine of record um, around sports. And um, I, think, I think part of what was cool is like, there was no debate on whether esports athletes are athletes. It was more about, uh, we were redefining what it meant to be a team. Uh, and, and that was really a kind of a, 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 an, a, an exciting way to introduce us to a broader and more, and more traditional audience. So, um, you know, we're, we're still developing that, but you will see more licensing for, uh, for, from us in, in the future. And you keep talking about your community and yeah. the audience. Can you just define that? You know, what's the demographics? How many people? Is it global, local? What does it look like? So we're, you know, if, if you look at us from, a, from like a social media footprint, um, we have about a, a, an aggregate of 400 million followers. Obviously, those are not those are not all uniques, right? Those are there's there's overlap in there, but it's a it's a it's a really big network across um, all the different personalities and phases. That's right, um, and uh, and and as far as the global makeup, we're 50 percent North America and 50 percent outside of North America, so. You know, we've we've got a massive following outside of where we really are are in the conversation. Like I, I actually think we have not done enough outreach to our fans and to territories outside of North America. Part of that was the pandemic. We had you know we kind of put the put the brakes on some some uh, some things. But we've got teams around the world. Um, you know, a, a big part of our, our upcoming strategy is really kind of boots on the ground around the world. We're looking at kind of you know, um, you know, planting flags in, in, in a number of different regions, and we'll be operating out of those out of those regions to speak to kind of a broader international fan base. One thing that's so interesting about esports is you have these broad international fan bases, but that makes live events kind of tricky. You know, somebody who loves Phase Clan can't just come to Worlds or whatever it is halfway around the world. It's harder for them. Whereas if I'm a Local sports fan, shout out to any Jets fans here. You can just get in your car, I know, rough. You can just get in your car and go to the Jets game because you're a local fan. So how do you, you know, cross that, trying to make sure the international folks feel engaged, even though they're physically kind of far away from where you're based? So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd make a comparison to some of the soccer clubs that have broad international audiences, and it's the same problem that they have. Um, but also what I'll say is at this point in time, the live of events in this space, it's not, they're not driving 
um, massive engagement. Uh, and again, the, I'll, I'll kind of call out the pandemic, put a little bit of a, you know, sl slowed that process down. I think that tournaments were starting to gain ahead of steam, um, and that that obviously had a, had a chill chilling effect on it. Um, I think events are gonna are going to grow. I think tournaments are going to grow. I think for us, like, we also even think of like what what kind of events should we be doing, right? Like. You know, and, and it, again, pandemic stopped some of the inbound, but like we had inbound a couple of years ago where everybody had this, you know, some bright idea about what a gaming festival looked like. And these were all people that had, you know, real receipts, re you know, had done things in the past, and that everybody that came in and sat with us, we just were always like, that's not it. That's not it. And, and I think we, we talk about our, even for ourselves, like, what is it? You know, what, what would that kind of event be for FaZe Clan, right? That's not just tournaments. There are people creating tournaments and we participate all the time. But we think that there's an opportunity for something more unique, something different. But for, quite frankly, we're still figuring out what that, what that is and, and, and how to kick that off. So you're still figuring that part of your business out. Yeah. But obviously, you're growing the other aspects of your business, commerce, retail, et cetera. You're gearing up for an IPO. Mm. And it's a special kind of IPO. It's through sort of like a you know a blank tech company. Um, why are you deciding to go public now, and why are you deciding to go public um, via this blank tech company via SPAC when right now SPACs seem to be a little bit more volatile? Yeah, look, SPACs are definitely volatile at the moment. I think I think for a company like ours, the feature of the SPAC that really works for us is. Um, you're allowed to talk about kind of the future of the business and where you're going, um, which is different than a traditional IPO where you're where you're not. And I think with a, with a business like ours that is new for most people and certainly new for a Wall Street community, I think we, you have to be able to educate the marketplace on what we do and and where we're going. Um, and you know, look the the the. You know the reasoning around around um, around doing this doing this back also is is you know we've been we've been growing super fast. I mean again the 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 brand is is a mature brand, but the business is a pretty pretty recent business. The re the business is you know I I would say just you know four years old um, and has largely been pay, you know playing catch up to the brand. You know, we, we were, the brand was big while we were really starting to form the business itself. Uh, and, and while we were forming the business, we were also advancing the brand. So we've been in this constant state of, of, uh, of this business trying to catch up with this, the size and the scale and the brand, which, you know, frankly, is, is, it's a high-class problem. Right, um, that the brand keeps growing to a certain to a certain size. That you know that we're constantly feeling like you know that the business part of it is uh, is is catching up. And and what I'll say is for like for our community, that's probably better, right? Like our you know the the, the fact that it's 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 kind of brand brand first and brand growth first. One of the avid, uh, advantages of doing a spec mm -hmm. is that you can raise a lot of money up front. And this is great for companies that are in build mode, right? Because they can either spend it on buying other companies, buying brands, acquiring talent. Like, what do you plan to do with your SPAC cash? I think first and foremost is investing in talent, brand, community. Those are like, you know, I think it's banks called it like the whole the holy trinity. Um, all I think, you know, so um, you know. 
investing in that, which also means content, investing in content, and, and uh, you know, both on the, the type of content that we've been known for, which is kind of on platform, as well as creating you know, uh, new IP and expanding IP creation and bringing things off platform. Um, that's, you know, that's a big part of what we're, uh, what we're, what we're looking to use the, the, the funds for. I think M&A is something that we're really interested in. Um, there are some cool brands that we've already been eyeing um, that we think could be, you know, could benefit from being connected to our platform. Um, I think that's what, like, what's exciting about what we are is like, it, it, we, A, we're like a company of dreamers. Um, you know, like we got a, a, a few of us here, like literally like we, we sit and kind of dream up the future and then sometimes just will it into, into existence. But, but that's why I think platform describes us best is because there's so many different ways we can um, express the brand and then as a byproduct monetize the brand and monetize those opportunities. Okay, selfishly as a business reporter, I just have to ask, like what kinds of brands are you thinking about for M&A? Uh, well, we're thinking about like the consumer product brands. Um, you know, we've, we've, let's see, I never know what I'm allowed to say. Um, you know, we've looked at um, other, uh, you know, things more specifically in gaming, um, either assets or, you know, or, or things more than just assets. Um, you know, uh, but, but I, think, I think consumer products are some really interesting things. Also some other like, you know, picks and shovels type businesses for around the scene that we that we look at and, and you know you know we're we're looking we're starting to look at Web three mm -hmm. um, and where there might be opportunities there um, for for M and think that's you know Web three is something that we're unbelievably excited about. Let's talk about Web three. So everyone has a different version or definition of Web three. Some people think it's the metaverse. Some people think it's telehealth. Right? What do you think of when you say Web three? Um, I mean, first and foremost, I think about the technology that's leveraged in different ways. Um, you know, I think, I think there's an interesting parallel going on in the debate around Web3, which very much mimics the debate around gaming that we had experienced. And, and forget about my time, I've been with FaZe for six years and change, but when I talk to some of the original founders, like, the really early days are, are truly emblematic of, of the type of debate of like the validity, like the questioning the validity of, of Web3 was similar to questioning the validity of gaming. You know, where I look at that, it's like that's questioning whether the, you know, the, the sun will rise in the east. Like it's the technology exists. How it'll be deployed will, be, will depend on all of, all of us utilizing it. It'll be deployed in ways that are harmful, as we have plenty of examples of, and, and, they'll, and they'll, it'll be deployed in ways that'll be revolutionary. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I think what I'm probably most excited about, well, I'm excited about a few different things around, around Web3, but one of the things that I'm really excited about is, you know, ultimately, you know, we have this, we talk, we're talking about this, this massive community and, and fan base that we have, but really that sort of last millimeter of the relationship isn't owned by us. You know, in, in between, I don't have my phone, usually I'll put, put my phone in between you and I to illustrate the point, but between sort of, FaZe Clan and its community are 
centralized bodies, I use centralized because it's a big part of the, the Web3 discussion, centralized authorities like YouTube, Instagram, Activision, TikTok, you know, keep filling in the blanks. And, you know, th those entities, those centralized entities own that relationship and they dictate a lot of things about that relationship. They dictate what kind of content we can put out in, in, in the manner of that. They dictate how we communicate with each other and, and whether and the manner of how our, our fans can communicate back to us. They dictate whether and how we can monetize that relationship and they can kick off any of our fans and they can kick us off. And so I think Web3 provides us an, an opportunity to have an actual direct relationship with our community that is bespoke. And, it's besp and, and the only people that will govern what that relationship is, is us and our community. And we can decide together and, you know, and, and we don't have some centralized body to dictate or, you know, or to change their mind as to how we've been enjoying that relationship and say, no, no, sorry, we're turning that feature off you know, or things like that. So I think that's really exciting. I think what's happening with, um, with gaming in the Web3 space is going to be absolutely revolutionary. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, us, I think FaZe is so uniquely positioned to capitalize on where we are um, in gaming and in culture. And I think it's a kind of another thing that a lot of people don't get about the Web3 scene is how kind of culture and artist-driven it is. It's actually more artist-driven than tech-driven. Obviously, tech is the backdrop of it, but really the scene is all culture. And so I think that's why we've been able to, to why we actually feel both comfortable and welcomed into that scene is because we just fit. Right, and you know, I think that the opportunity for us to you know play a central role within gaming within that ecosystem is really an exciting opportunity. And you know, normally, you know, having to compete with sort of the titans that run you know games like you know who, you know whoever you know, Microsoft, Sony, Activision, you know it'd be hard to compete with those as far as kind of creating an ecosystem around gaming. But I think what's exciting and, and what is, is a great opportunity for us is those type of businesses are anathema to this scene, right? There, this, is, this is not a scene that wants to play with, again, huge centralized authoritative bodies. And so I think that creates an unbelievable opportunity and where like we're, we're having really ex such exciting conversations with some of the pioneers in the Web3 scene. Okay, so talk to me about that tech that is gonna connect you to your community because it's not like you're going to all be sitting in the same room at the same time. Something is gonna have to bind you. So is it like non-fungible tokens and NFTs? Is it you creating your own live stream platforms? Like what is the tech that's gonna replace those centralized bodies like the Instagrams and the Twitches? Yeah, I, th I, think, I, think, I think via an NFT is a, is a great solution. I think ultimately it's the, you know, it's the difference between, you know, kind of logging into your Instagram account and then you follow us. It's your, you connect your wallet to us and then we can use that, that connectivity for whatever we want. 
right? Whether that's, you know, whether to supply you with content, supply you with access, supply you with really, again, whatever we can dream of to, you know, to, to and, and to evolve that, right? Like, however it starts, that's always, you know, that's part of what, what I think is so, so cool about this space is, you know, people are, are building the plane while, the, while they're flying the plane, um, which is also a very phase clan thing to do. <laughs> We've been doing that for years. But, um, so I think that, you know, I think that starts with the connectivity and then we can continue to, to add value within, within that relationship. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that we got here was about, you know, advice that you're giving to brands entering Web3. And I want to ask, what advice do you give to them given a lot of skepticism and distrust around things like privacy, around things like security online? You know, you just mentioned giving someone access with their wallet. I mean, that takes a lot of trust. So should brands feel like Web3 is going to be secure enough for all of that? Are you talking about brands? Brands and consumers. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I actually think we've already started to play a role in bringing brands into Web3. Um, we did it in December with Marriott. We, uh, we, we threw a, um, it's this, you know, a, a really cool party in, uh, at Art Basel, which is our, which was, was kind of our kind of coming out party into the scene. And, uh, we did a, a, a drop, actually a physical Jersey drop with Artifact. Um, and, uh, and, and that was cool. And then, and brought, you know, brought Marriott into it. And we, we had some kind of up and coming artist create NFTs for them. And so that really worked well and it resonated with, with them and and we're you know we're in conversations with other brands as to how does it look like for us to help them connect to, to this world which is pretty which is similar to how brands have been using us um, previously right but you know brands come to us because we have an ability to connect with with Gen Z and an understanding how to connect with Gen Z in a way that most brands don't understand. You know, what, you know, every new youth generation has a new as a twist on the previous generation, but but Gen Z has started with nearly a blank canvas. And, you know, and I and I think that the the reasoning is pretty simple. Gen Z is is the first generation to kind of grow up with a fully formed internet, and so as a result, the things that Gen Z cares about and doesn't care about is just very different and it's based on the tools that they had when they were growing up you know and i and i think also like one one of the one of the the the, the biggest distinctions that's really connected to to you know the conversation around web3 is for gen z you know the distinction between their physical existence and their digital existence is paper thin whereas people from my generation like your physical you know life and your digital life feels like there's a gulf between those and that's just not the case you know and and you you also talk about the the, the metaverse you know, I think sometimes people think about metaverse as like some singular destination, whereas I think about it as, you know, like consuming or, or be, being present in a digital environment. And I would say that's already existing. And, and for some people, their digital life is more important than their, than their physical life. I, I actually would think influencers are even a key a key example of that right where they're the curated life that they present 
on whatever platform they're, they're on, right, or all the platforms that they're on, that's actually much more important than who they are sitting at home or sitting in the coffee shop, right? And it's curated, it's, it's, a, it's a brand that's built, and so, you know, the amount of time that people are spending on Instagram, on YouTube, on, so to me that they've already entered the hallway going to a more robust digital environment that people would consider the, the metaverse. Wanted to just follow up on something you said, Gen Z, there's things they care a lot about and don't quickly, like what don't they care about? What do they care about? So the, the, the one example that I, that, I, that I like to give is, um, you know, for let's say my generation and most generations, the getting your driver's license was a seminal, it's a seminal moment of adolescence, right? And it's because it, it, it's synonymous with freedom, right? And it's like, I know, you know, your, your, your friend groups knows who, who amongst the friend is going to be the first one to get the license and it, and it unlocks a, a world because now you can be mobile and you can go places. And there's a lot of, I think, nostalgia um, that is, you know, that is, that surrounds that moment and, that, and, and crossing that threshold. But if you're born at a time where you've got Uber and Lyft, all of a sudden a driver's license is no longer synonymous with freedom. Yes, it's one other way to access freedom, but it doesn't have that like singular you know, thought in your head of like driving and counting, you know, counting the, the, the days and the minutes till you can get in your car and go wherever you want because you can just pick up your phone, pull up an Uber, and you're on your way well before you have access to a license. And so for Gen Z, like, that, that nostalgia is just like wiped out. It's not like a slow descent, it's like an off switch, and it just doesn't matter. And would their seminal moment be like the day they get a cell phone? I'm sure that is the seminal, that I would say that, pro that replaces it and maybe even is 10x that feeling because the difference is, well, maybe, maybe it's actually directly analogous, right? It's like you get your license and you have access to the world, whereas when you get your phone, you have access to the world, right? Like, so it's, uh, it, actually, it's a, it, it's a good, good, good uh, comparison. It'll take, like, some anthropologist psychoanalysis to understand what unlocking that world means for people getting phones, which is typically, like, 12, yeah. versus the license at 17. Well, I think that's, I, that's probably the, what informs sort of the debate that parents have around when to hand over the phone, because when you unlock access to the world, you also lose the ability to manage that really closely. And so that's, you know, it's a key. The phone ends up being a key to unlock a very big door. Can't even imagine. Um, let's talk about women in esports. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the industry under indexes in women. Yep. What are you doing about it? You know, is it important to FaZe Clan? How do you think the industry evolves? Um, it's important to FaZe Clan. I'll say historically, I don't think we've done enough. I think you know we've we uh, we've we've signed women. We've got a few in the in the queue that uh, that you might be hearing about soon. Um, but frankly, I don't I don't think we I don't think we've done as much as we as we could or, or we should. Um, you know, I think that the environment is getting better for women, but we've, there's a, there's a long way to go. And then in terms of your ambitions into entertainment broadly, I know we talked a little bit about like YouTube and developing content, but is FaZe Clan something that one day we're going to have FaZe Clan branded TV shows and movies and FaZe Clan branded games? I know you're holding that IP close to your chest, but you know I look at brands like Marvel that are getting into the movie scene. 
um, sorry, uh, Mattel is getting into the movie scene with Barbie. Like, w why couldn't that be Phase Clan? I mean, it certainly could be Phase Clan, and and likely will be Phase Clan. Um, I think that that we have an opportunity to kind of bring our attitude and our point of view to you know to content, right? I, you know, as much as I, I've historically talked about kind of the declining viewership of traditional media like film and television, um, which is de which is in decline, right? Like, you know, there was the, there was a stat that came out last year that that you know that the question was what's your you know what's your entertainment choice? What's your number one entertainment choice? Um, and for Gen Z, the number one choice was video games. Uh, by like a huge margin, it was like 26%, and then number two was music at 14%. Number five, combined movies and television, right, combined. And so, but that doesn't mean that I think Gen Z doesn't care about it. I think that, you know, I think that the opportunity for us is to maybe bring kind of our understanding of, of, what, of what Gen Z as an audience cares about and, and bring that into long-form content. Right now, content can also be a marketing vehicle. Like, are you thinking about things like podcasts, getting your stars out there on those types of channels? Yeah, we've, we've done, you know, we've dabbled in podcasts. Um, we actually had an interesting conversation. Again, I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about sometimes, but we were kind of talking about um, podcasting in a Web3 environment, which seems like, again, what's like almost just the beginning thread of an idea that we started talking about. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're launching um, long form content on Twitch. Like we're, you know, we're, we're about to, um, um, to launch something called, it's, it's phase one. It's, a, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's kind of our uh, global search for content creators. We've done it before. We, we did it um, a couple years ago as phase five where we recruited five members. Um, this year we're doing it as recruiting only one member. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going to do much more significant production around it. It'll be a Twitch show. The top 20 are going to live in the phase warehouse, and we're going to live stream it 24 hours a day for 15 days, and there'll be all sorts of challenges. And, and so we've really amped up production around that. The, the winner, um, you know, not only gets a, you know, not, not only becomes a phase member, but gets a, a million dollars in crypto, uh, gets a, a sponsorship deal a car um, we're really looking to change somebody's life oh my god um, and that's going to be you know that we're, we're running that on on uh, on twitch um, and then we've got a another show that we're launching right on its heels called unfazed I can't talk about who's hosting that yet right okay um, we've got a really exciting host for that and it's um, you know, it's a it's a new concept that we're we're bringing to to Twitch, um, whereas it'll be kind of a um, an afternoon block of programming. Like you know, think of a four hour after school block of programming where we have um, you know all kinds of little you know little pieces of content and recurring things and you know and all different. You know, we're we're experimenting um, in a lot of different ways, but we're looking at kind of more premium content and expanding our our content offering. I have so many questions. Okay, <laughs> first. Is there an age limit in being a part of this phase one competition? There is not. Okay, because I could use a car. Hmm? Two. Come on. Is is uh can, is it closed? Can we not? Can you, submissions closed already? I think. I think you're you're gonna have to wait till next year. Okay. But we'll, tell we'll, 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 we'll send you an email. We'll, we'll, like, we'll give you a heads up. Done. It's like it feels like American Idol meets Big Brother. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. Um. Two. You mentioned Twitch for both of these. Yeah. Is Twitch like your primary entertainment platform? You know. 
there's been debates about Facebook gaming and YouTube gaming. Like, which ones are you relying on? So, um, I mean, Twitch is just native to, to our community, and we think it fits for how, how to launch this. You know, what happens at, you know, what happens next year? I, I don't know. We'll see. Let's let's see, let's see how you know. Like we're 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 not committing long long term to where this place live. You know where these shows live. But we think that it's it's kind of endemic to, to who we are. I think the um, the ability to communicate with the with the uh, you know the the viewers are really important and is actually part of how we're doing the show. Right? It'll it'll be interactive. So that interactivity I think is important to us. And, and, and frankly, it's important to you know the the audience in, in our community. I think that's actually one of the challenges that um, that traditional content has is this new generation wants the interactivity. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to actually comment, influence, do something. But and and so. You know, traditional media just kind of comes at you, and you know the, the the type of content that we do is much more interactive, and it's what resonates with uh, with our our community. And do you yourselves produce that, or are you working with a third party to create that? We, I mean, we're doing it, and, and we're working with um, with a with a production company. But we've got some, you know, we've got we've got some a, a killer in-house team. We we. Uh, you know, a year and a half ago, poached the NFL's head of content, uh, Bill McCullough, who runs content for us. And do other esports ventures look at you and say, "Wow, that's really good. Could you produce it for us? Would you do it?" Uh, we've not had those conversations yet. I don't think. I mean, it's actually interesting. I've never thought about it. I think maybe at, at some point it happens, but I think there's probably too much of that competitive spirit. Where I don't know. I don't know that we're quite there. It's like. You know, asking you know, uh, you know, the the Lakers to, to produce something for the Bulls probably wouldn't happen. What about for a brand? For brands, we do that all the time, right? Like for you know, for brands, we you know, we we do some you know bespoke branded content. Although we're looking to move more away from that and uh, and build out our slate and you know and. Um, Kind of present that to brands to, for them to participate in what we're doing, and it goes back to look. We know we know how to connect with this audience. Um, it's one of the most important. You know, when 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 I talk to um, you know people from our from our sales team, like the, the what I've always said is you know we we really sell kind of three things there. We sell the affinity with the brand, uh, we sell our reach. Um, but we also sell our our knowledge in how to effectively communicate with this audience. And if you don't put that third piece in, you're not going to have the same level of, of success leveraging the first two things. Can we talk quickly in our last few moments about celebrities? You just add Snoop Dogg to your board. Yes, we like, do. how does that work? Do you call Snoop Dogg and say, like, come be on my board? Does he call you? Um, so happens to be our chief strategy officer, Kai Henry, um, has a long relationship with with Snoop, um, he was part of his management team um, early on in his career, and it's it's actually been something that's been growing organically in the background. Um, you know, it resulted in what people have seen, you know, recently. But the conversation with Snoop, his son Cordell, and his camp has been has been going on for 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 quite some time. Um, and you know, Snoop is. He's like the he's like the OG gamer, like he's like the original internet kid. Like that guy really cares about gaming. I mean, the the, the stories about you know it, you know he's got you know 
game consoles on his rider for for shows and for um, you know and for you know for for appearances in his own tour. And he said that he's when he's pulled up sometimes and they don't have it and he splits if they don't if they don't have that. And so that's how that's how important it is for him. And so he really understood what Phase Clan is doing. And also, you know, a he's he's been the master of kind of evolving his career by being tapped into what's happening, right? So, and when you sit with him and you talk to him about kind of culture largely, what he's doing, and then the level of understanding that he has about what FaZe is doing and what we re represent in the culture, it's unbelievable. Um, and so, you know, it's been, you know, again, it's, uh, it's really been an organic build. And I think it's also why, like, um, it's even from the beginning starting to feel like it's working so well. Snoop is such an interesting example. Are there other examples of celebrities who get phase, rep phase, love it without you having to like reach out to them? Oh yeah, we see it all the time. Like we'll we'll see um, uh, you know a lot of athletes wearing phase stuff. Um, you'll see it in their posts. You'll see it. Um, you know, like we we've seen big athletes kind of show up to their interviews. You know, rocking a phase hoodie. Um, and you know, it's because we're really enmeshed in the scene. And and also, you know, big athletes now like take 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 one of our phase members. Take uh, Kyler Murray, right, a quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Like he grew up watching phase. Like. The, 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 one of the most astounding things that I saw was like I think in the interview that he gave when, when he, we announced uh, that he was joining FaZe is that he said the, the, his, great, his greatest achievement was getting to FaZe, which was, kind of blew my mind. Um, and, then, and then, you know, I'll, I'll give you another example of another kind of, kind of celebrity FaZe member, Bronny, Bronny James, LeBron's son. The way that happened is we saw a post you know, he posted uh, a reel or a TikTok, and it's him in his bedroom, and on his wall, he's got not one, but two framed phase jerseys in his bedroom. And so Apex, one of, one of, our, one of our, our original founders, um, kind of hit him up, DM, they started gaming together, they started building a relationship, and you know, fast forward, I don't know, a year or so later, you know, you know, Bronny's in phase. Bronny's on the cover of uh, of Sports Illustrated with uh, with some of our other guys, and it's like, again, we're, we're these things work when they're organic. If they're not organic, it's not going to work. Like, it's not we 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 don't have the appetite, and nor would it make sense for us to go chase somebody just for the like the the clout or the or the moment. It's otherwise it just it 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 falls flat, and it, it you know nothing will come of it. Last question for you: As we're running out of time so much about what we're talking about is authenticity, like being a brand, being a personality. And we've talked so much about FaZe, we've like not talked about you. Oh. So let's pretend <laughs> we're going right now, all of us, to the bar after this panel. And I ask, like, what's, what's going on in your life? How are you? What's your answer? <laughs> Um, what's going on in my life is FaZe Clan, kind of 24-7 FaZe, I mean, it's really, it's really it. Um, but it's, look, I, I feel privileged to be in the role. I, I, feel a, I feel a true responsibility to what um, the guys, what, what my other founders have, have created in this brand and, and the community, um, and it's, I mean, it's hard. It's, I mean, like everybody, like it's, 
it is not easy. There's no, there's not one person at FaZe Clan having easy, easy days. It's hard, but it's also like thrilling. And you know, I, I benefit because I, I you know, I, I spent my, my whole career in the music business really working with artists and helping to break artists and developing artists. It's what I recognized in FaZe when, when I started getting involved, you know, originally as an advisor. Like when I got up close to FaZe, what I saw was something different than I think the than most of other people in in the world, especially people kind of my of my generation that didn't see like what I saw is is something that resonated on the same level of as the biggest and most important artists I've ever worked with, and it had that same thing. If anything, it eclipsed it. The the passion of the fan base, how Phase mattered to to you know to our community was again was emblematic of the most significant artists I've ever worked with. And I, you know, I've, had the, I've had the privilege of, of working with a lot of great artists and, and even helping to develop them. And so you know, for, for me, it's, um, it's a, uh, again, it, it, I, I mean, it sounds like hyperbole, but I, I feel privileged to, and, and I, I feel a, 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 a true responsibility to do the right thing by the by the brand and the community. Obviously, we're running a business too, and um, and and sometimes there's tension with that. But again, that's the same thing as like when you're a, when you're a growing band and you're you're going from small to you know playing stadiums or arenas. There's tension in that too. But there's a way to to walk that tightrope and respect the things that your community respects and make sure that you super serve them and you know that they matter while you continue to build a, a robust business. I love that answer because I asked you to talk about yourself, but instead all you talked about was FaZe, which tells a lot about you. Um, quickly, uh, my name is Sarah. I'm a reporter with Axios. We write really short content and bullet points to make it easier to understand. So I figured I'd just leave you off with a few bullet points of the things I thought were really interesting today. Um, nearly a 12-year-old brand, but the business is about four years old, which I think is really interesting. Built the brand before the business. Um, gaming is an entertainment platform. is actually more popular and a bigger business than just gaming itself. Think about the Harlem Globetrotters being more uh, famous and impactful than the Lakers. Um, I like the comparison to hip hop. You know, people didn't know whether to take it seriously until they did. Um, sponsorship revenue, a huge core, but you're also moving into things like retail, et cetera, exploring some new shows while still holding that IP close to the vest. The SPAC is coming up. Congratulations. The exciting thing about the SPAC is you get to talk about the long-term opportunity about your business, which is important, educating Wall Street about eSports. M&A is something you're eyeing, including consumer products, maybe some gaming assets. You love Web3. There's a lot of opportunity to get rid of that middleman in Web3, which is exciting. And then I loved what we were just talking about with the driver's license. The seminal moment for Gen Z is getting the phone, and I never thought about it that way. So, Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, and um, everyone, go follow Lee on all the social platforms and phase.